Asia for the roughly 1,300-year period from the beginning of the Tang Dynasty in 618 to nearly the end of the Qing in 1912. As French describes, under the principle of Chinese centrality known as Tianxia, all under heaven, China loosely governed the region through a hierarchical order of relations in the form of the tribute system, although, as French notes, the Chinese did not use that term. Under that system, countries acknowledged the cultural and political superiority of China and expressed deference to Chinese authority, including literally kowtowing before the Chinese emperor in order to trade with China. Yet French calls the rejuvenation narrative a story of a half-idealized, half-mythologized past. In many respects, he suggests, form masked substance. While seeking to placate their giant neighbor, the countries on China's periphery often used various forms of subterfuge, subversion, and even outright defiance to get their way, contributing to a significant gap between China's self-image and the geopolitical reality. As early as 600, for example, Japan subtly began to assert its independence from and sense of equality with China. In that year, a Japanese delegation brought a letter to the Sui Dynasty's emperor, referring to Japan's empress as the son of heaven in the land of the rising sun, and to her Chinese counterpart as the son of heaven in the land of the setting sun, implying that the two stood on equal footing. Beginning in the early 1600s, Japan also conspired with the kingdom of the Ryukyu Islands to deceive China. While pretending to be a loyal tributary of China, the kingdom was secretly a vassal of Japan. Unbeknownst to the Chinese court, a Japanese clan selected each of the Ryukyu kings. According to French, one Ryukyu leader believed that if the kingdom offended China, it could explain things away. But if it offended Japan, it would be punished. Other regional monarchs rejected Chinese rule more overtly. An emissary of the Ming Chinese emperor once visited Burma to demand an end to that kingdom's insubordination. The king replied, Ruling this country, I only understand that others kowtow to me. How do I kowtow to others? French also takes on the deeply entrenched idea that China was a fundamentally different kind of hegemon. As the Chinese version of the story goes, unlike other colonial powers, China managed its neighbors through kindness and virtue, and so had little use for military power. As she himself noted in a speech to Australian Parliament in 2014, countries that attempted to pursue their development goals with the use of force invariably failed. This is what history teaches us. China is dedicated to upholding peace. Or as Chinese Premier Li Keqiang put it in a speech in London that same year, expansion is not in the Chinese DNA. In French's retelling, however, China has not lacked for expansionist and colonial impulses. For example, over the course of a thousand years, various Chinese dynasties invaded what is now Vietnam and attempted to conquer it. The Vietnamese defeated China seven times. When the Ming finally prevailed in the early 1400s, they killed as many as seven million Vietnamese in the process. And as colonial rulers, the Chinese did not prove particularly enlightened. They required Vietnamese schools to teach only Chinese, confiscated Vietnamese literature, barred local traditions, such as betel nut chewing, and forced Vietnamese women to wear Chinese dress. No surprise, then, that Chinese colonial rule lasted only 21 years before the Vietnamese pushed out the Ming army. French even calls into question the righteousness of the legendary Zheng He, the Ming dynasty explorer who remains much revered to this day. 
Zheng is typically portrayed as a peaceful admiral whose mission was to spread, in the words of two Chinese academics quoted by French, knowledge of the emperor's majesty and virtue. But French unearths evidence suggesting that Zheng was actually an agent of Chinese expansionism. When Sumatra and Ceylon, modern-day Sri Lanka, refused to yield to China's hegemony, for instance, Zheng invaded. Although his expeditions were not designed to secure territory, they were intended to ensure that nations subordinated themselves to China, a demand that it would enforce with military power if necessary. The Chinese, it turned out, discovered Finlandization centuries before the Soviets did. By demythologizing China's past, French provides an important addition to contemporary political debates over the nature of China's rise. Chinese scholars and officials routinely claim that their country is different from other powers, peaceful, non-interventionist, and non-colonial, to assuage concerns.